Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic today on the show in the building to talk some NBA trades, to talk Chet Holmgren, his number one boy. It is Matthew Penny. What up, Ben? How are we? We're good. It's been a, it's been a crazy morning, crazy afternoon for you. I'm working on my levels here. I know you saw the uh, interactions on Twitter that my my voice doesn't align to my body. And it was compared to Jim Halpert from The Office, <laughs> Toby from This Is Us, and Braun Strowman from Pro Wrestling Fame. A couple new ones in there for me. I, I've got the, I've gotten the Jim from The Office, the John Krasinski once in a while. He's like the Coca Cola, and I'm like the RC Cola version of that. And he actually grew up down the street from where I'm recording. But the other ones were were new ones. So I'm, I'm just trying to be a little bit less self conscious here and and power yeah. through and, and talk trades, which is a little out of my comfort zone. But we're prepared. We, we do the best we can. We're ready. Matt Penny is nothing if he's not always prepared. I'm prepped. Uh, and I told him last night, like, hey, you know, just <laughs> let's talk trades in the morning. Yeah. Just do a little bit of prep and, you know, be ready. And he's always ready. And now, now was he ready for the Kings to, like, totally, like, break my brain? No, he wasn't. Because uh, neither was, was I. To, to be fair, was anyone? Was the NBA? <laughs> I mean, the report's coming out like, hold on, wait a minute. Like, we didn't even know this was a possibility. And now he's a pacer. Yeah, Woj is literally just like, are <laughs> calling me being like, what if we would have known Tyrese Halliburton was available, like what's going on? Okay, let's just let's let's settle this and let's start uh start ripping videos for the YouTube page essentially. Uh we're gonna go one in order, right? We're gonna go Tyrese right. Halliburton for Demonis Sabonis, we're gonna go um CJ McCollum to the Pelicans, we're gonna go uh, Karis LeVert to the Cavs, and then we're going to talk Chet Holmgren. We had another draft topic that we might not get to. No. I actually don't think we're going to do mailbag today because there's mm. just too much going on. Um, but we will do prospects of the week. So I know you guys love mailbag. Maybe we'll do an extra long mailbag uh, episode next week in order to make up for it. Um, we apologize, but I mean, this just got out of our hands a little bit here with the way that this occurred uh, during the deadline. So Okay, let's start. The Indiana Pacers have traded Demonis Sabonis, Jeremy Lamb, Justin Holiday, and a 2027 second round pick to the Indiana Pacers for Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, and Tristan Thompson. Uh, This is the one that just totally broke my brain. Like, uh, I I looked at Twitter this morning. It's 8.22 a.m. here in Australia, and I... I thought someone like had fucked up. Like I, th- I thought someone. <laughs> oh, they they might have. Okay. They might have. Yeah, like I, I thought you, you thought it was like, like all... you thought, like a fake account, fake Twitter account. You're like oh, I fell for it again. That's a fake one. Yeah, it's it's all a ruse. It's all like fake Woj coming at us. Uh, this is staggering to me. I'll, I'll give you the floor before I like you know jump up and down on all of this. But go go ahead. Uh, you're you're taken aback. I, I love Tyrese Halliburton. I was surprised i thought the kings would move a different guard maybe De'Aaron fox and build around tyrus halliburton who's shooting like 48 percent from the field 45 percent from three it felt that the kings nailed this draft pick and after they haven't in the past and i just yeah for for just checking it out i i've looked up the last whatever five six drafts of who they have and, and who they missed in 2013 ben mclemore seventh 2014, Nick Stauskas, 8th. 2015, Willie Cauley-Stein, 6th. 2016, uh, Marquise Chris, 8th. 
they feel like they got it fairly right with De'Aaron Fox, fifth in 2017. Oh, you missed another one there with Marquise Chris. No, Marquise Chris, 2016. He went eighth. Uh, uh, we uh, said swipe. We said swipe. No, uh, no, no, no. But th- th- there's another one in there. Oh, that's a that's our that's our king, Yorios Papianis, baby. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Number thirteen. I'm, I'm, that's yeah, a lottery I'm try- pick. That's true. I'm trying to hit on the hits. Uh, Bagley w- was a miss, and Halliburton at, at twelve seemed like a an actual hit, right? Like we got it right. Even this year, Davion Mitchell. We we're both Davion Mitchell fans, but we we're like, that's a crowded backcourt. I didn't see this. I don't know how this works. Halliburton is a guy that we've raved about that archetype lately of this big passing, connecting, seamless guy that can play anywhere. He's actually shooting the ball. Any of the questions coming out of college are erased, and he is traded. Uh, I like Sabonis. Uh, I, I do. I think I just value Tyrese Halliburton so much higher. When that tweet came out that he was gone, it was kind of like I was back on the end of the bench losing a buzzer beater. I just put my hands on my head, and I just said, I don't – I don't – I don't know what's happening here. I, this can't be a, a real thing. Yeah, so I, I don't want to give short shrift to Demonis Sabonis, who's correct. Who's correct. Yes. And bef- before we dive into undoubtedly why I wouldn't have done this move if I was the Kings, um, I, I want to pay attention to why Demonis Sabonis is probably someone that the Kings valued and decided they want to do acquire. Uh, Sabonis is one of the best offensive centers in the NBA. He averages essentially 20 points, 12 rebounds, five assists, something like that. He's exceptional in dribble handoffs. His feel for the game is outstanding. He's um, kind of like a bull in the china shop in the paint. Like He is incredible in terms of being able to use his shoulders, use his footwork to be able to carve out just that little inch of space that he needs to finish the basket. Um his dribble handoff game, I think, is really going to mesh well with De'Aaron Fox. If there's any – look, the Kings have an interim coach right now in Alvin Gentry. Alvin Gentry is a really fucking smart offensive mind. Um, I think Alvin Gentry is going to be able to figure out how to utilize De'Aaron Fox and Demonis Sabonis well together. And the way to do it is you start the ball with Davion Mitchell in his hands. Mm-hmm. You put De'Aaron Fox on the right side of the court – you run essentially like a dribble handoff action. Uh, you put the ball in Sabonis's hands. You have um, Mitchell go screen to the right side of the court, have Fox come up and fly up to get him on the move. And then you run like all sorts of crazy dribble handoff action with Fox where he's on the move already. And you can let Sabonis make some decisions and dribble handoffs. Like I think there's actually a lot there that will work for Sacramento. Yep. And ultimately a big part of why Sacramento has not been very good this year. They're sitting at 20 and 35 and they're 13th in the West and don't look all that competitive, but a big part of why that's the case is because the Aaron Fox has not been very good. I thought he was going to take a leap into all-star territory this year. That hasn't happened. And acquiring Demonis Sabonis is hopefully something that will actualize what De'Aaron Fox can be. However. However. uh, I can't wrap my brain around trading essentially seven or eight years of Tyrese Halliburton, which is what you would have had uh, at this point, who has been your best player this year. Uh, You look since December 1st, Tyrese Halliburton has been averaging 16 to 17 points 
nine assists. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has been uh, at 1.6 steals per game, four rebounds. Uh, he has a near four to one assist to turnover ratio. He's shooting 43% from three, and he's doing it on a lot of pull-up attempts that, you know, we can talk about what the evaluation of Tyrese Halliburton was coming into uh, the NBA. That was the question. Like, yeah, could he sure. consistently mm-hmm. knock down the pull-up jumper? And, and whether or not that was the case was going to be whether or not he could turn into, you know, something of an all-star point guard. Right. That skill is here. It is translated. It is everything that you could want from him. He is a 21-year-old that is essentially a 16-9-4 point guard uh, who is efficient, who is a really smart team defender, uh, who is continually getting stronger because, like, that was another question. Like, could he get strong enough? He was about 175 pounds entering the NBA. He's now up to, like, 185 or so, and he looks bigger, looks bulkier on the court, can hold his own a lot better. That's going to just continue to improve. Um I see no reason to think that Tyrese Halliburton isn't going to be an all-star based off of everything that we've seen from the Kings this year. There, every sign has been, I am breaking out. I am a breakout player. This is happening. (laughs) Build around me. I fit in any office you want. Build around me. I'm a scalable player. I can shoot. I can pass. I play great team defense. Like even if you're going to get a star player, to put next to Tyrese Halliburton, he fits next to all of them. Mm-hmm. He fits next to whatever you want to build. That is part of his value. It's part of why the Kings probably loved him. And they moved him. And I understand it because they have been so attached to De'Aaron Fox since selecting him. And I would bet you that the way that they looked at this was the best way for us to actualize the next few years is by cashing in on Tyrese Halliburton and not cashing in on De'Aaron Fox at the nadir of essentially what his value would be, because that that's what he would be at right now. Like he would be at a low point in terms of value, given the long-term nature of his contract, given his play this year. I bet that they're thinking we can rehabilitate De'Aaron Fox's, you know, NBA play this year. He's going to be great next to Demonis Sabonis, and we're going to make it work. I think that is the wrong choice. Uh, I would have built around Tyrese Halliburton, who is one of the best, most exciting young guards in the NBA right now. Um, if you ask any Kings fan at this point, I think that they would tell you they were more excited about Tyrese Halliburton than De'Aaron Fox. Um, I, I th- this, it just kind of blew me away. Um, yeah. It's it's one of those things that, like in the macro, I can't really even fathom. Uh, in, in some respect, making the decision to uh, pick Halliburton over Fox, essentially. And well, maybe you had to, like you said, just based on on trade value or whatnot. And uh, I'm always drafty. I'm always bringing back the draft. We do it all over again. He probably goes fourth, right? Somewhere like Lamelo and Edwards, Desmond Bain, him, some somewhere around there. Yeah, and I, I think so, you go ahead of Bain. To be, sure. I, I love so, Desmond. Like, okay, so he, he's he's him, third but, or fourth, yeah. right? My my point start. being that Lamelo's an all star. Anthony Edwards is close. Uh, I think Desmond Bain is is going to be awesome there as as a number two. 
could they have gotten more for Tyrese Halliburton? We're, we're laughing. We're joking, saying teams didn't even know. If it was known that he was on the trading block, could they have got more in return than DeMontis Sabonis? And people might be going nuts saying, he's an all-star. He's already 2012. What are you talking about? But could have been packaged together with more picks, more assets, two of those type of guys, if people around the league feel as strongly and passionately about his game where it is now and where it's going to go as you and I do talking on here. Did they sell us yes, short? I, it's like, if this is the guy, right? And we're saying that, it, could they have actually gotten more in return to? So I think the answer is yes. And part of that is that I am not a big fan of Demonis Sabonis as a number one or number two option. I would have loved it if the pay, if the Warriors would have been like, hey, we think Demonis Sabonis would be an unbelievable fit in our motion offense next to Draymond Green, next to Klay Thompson, next to Stephen Curry. That's what we're cashing in our chips for. Like moving James Wiseman and Moses Moody, keeping Jonathan Kaminga. We're going to go. We're going to get Sabonis. That's how we're going to beat teams. We're going to be big. We're going to have a great center. We're going to – I mean, if anyone would have watched the Warriors – um, uh, I can't remember his last night or two nights ago. Everything is very fuzzy at this point from the last like 36 hours. <laughs> but um, well, was they just last got obliterated the... on the glass. Yeah, that was the was that the Kaminga Moody game or is that the game before? Oh God, I nah. one of those games Stop. they have beaten the glass. And they Stop did. making and, me remember things. <laughs> <laughs> and and, why, and Wiseman Wiseman's, and Wiseman's yeah. coming back. I also don't want to say like he's going to get up to full strength and you know, throw him in the mix immediately right. and say, hey, you're paying 25 minutes a game and we're, we're chasing a championship right now. I'd rather take a, a more seasoned veteran who's used to it where it's not going to be this enormous adjustment that doesn't have to be worked along slowly too to get there. Yeah. So like if it was me and I was the Warriors, like that, that's an interesting move for me. I, I love the idea of Demonis Sabonis there. I don't love the idea of Demonis Sabonis in a situation in Sacramento where he doesn't now really have the defensive insulation that he needs in order to be successful on that end. Right. Teams are going to obliterate De'Aaron Fox, Demonis Sabonis pick and rolls. Um, they're just going to absolutely obliterate them. Uh, neither of those two are good enough in space. And now, instead of having Miles Turner coming over from the weak side, who's one of the 10 best defenders in the NBA, you don't really have anyone. Cause like, I, I'll be honest, like Rashawn Holmes isn't that defender, but also like you, you kind of can't keep Rashawn Holmes on this roster. I don't think because part of what makes Rashawn Holmes so good is that he's an unbelievable pick and roll big. Mm-hmm. Who's incredibly efficient finishes at 68%. And on top of that, he loves to short roll and you know, take that little like push shot floater thing. Well, well on top and of that too, he he was great in the two man game with Tyrese Halliburton. That Tyrese was Halliburton. like that was like his partner in crime for that stretch where Halliburton was averaging double digit assists for like five or six games in a row. Right. So, just the idea of what makes Rashawn Holmes so good, it doesn't really work next to Sabonis, who loves that mid post area where Rashawn Holmes tends to roll into, and who you know tends to like end up in the um, range of uh, like that, you know, short roll area and dribble handoffs, right? Yep. Like it, it's just not really going to work. Sorry. I got a text message like right in the middle of that. <laughs> there you are. The, the Halliburton trade is not real. Yeah. Um, literally about the Halliburton trade from like an NBA person. I'm trying to figure out like what they're doing. 
It's eight in the morning. Um, Leave me alone. I'm recording. I'm writing an article. <laughs> I'm doing my best. I'm processing. This is taking me a little bit longer than I'd like it to. So, uh, in terms of long term planning, you've given up seven to eight years of Tyrese Halliburton to pick up a player that I think minimizes your ceiling in Demonis Sabonis because I don't think he's good enough defensively. He's a great offensive player, but I don't think he's good enough on defense without incredible insulation to where it's really, truly going to work on that end. And Justin Holiday is a good defender. He's not a great defender. Uh, Harrison Barnes is a good defender. He's not a great defender at this point. Like, Davion Mitchell is a great defender, but if I'm an opposing team, I'm just keeping Davion Mitchell out of every screening action that I can. And you mentioned the idea of Davion Mitchell and getting back to the point that I want to make here, I guess maybe to close before I'll give you another point before we move on. But like taking Davion Mitchell in last year's draft seemed bonkers at Mm -hmm. the time for the Kings, given that they already had De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald and Buddy Heald Mm -hmm. because you look, I'm not saying that, I think that they probably have a lot of pressure to make the playoffs in Sacramento. It, you know, Vivek is a hands-on owner and, you know, a rookie probably wouldn't have like made the difference between them going from 20 and 35 to, you know, whatever they would need 25 and, you know, 30 or whatever. Um, but I do think that having Davion Mitchell on this roster gives you a comfort level to trade Tyrese Halliburton that maybe you shouldn't. And like, for whatever reason, I don't know why this is, but in my brain, I have that image of, you ever seen walk hard with uh, (laughs) Dewey Cox? Yep. I keep having the image of the dad saying wrong kid, dad. And it's just like wrong point guard traded. <laughs> well, it's like it's even multiple cars in the garage. Like I'm gonna drive this one today. It's like, don't drive that one. Sell the other one. Drive the and and I the the closing point I have with the Kings, and, and then we at least have to praise Indiana for doing this, I think. Right. Yeah. So the Kings are are twenty and thirty five. They're thirteenth in the West. If they don't make the playoffs and this thing goes south and they have a top three pick the top three picks are dominated by more bigs. So it's going to be even more crowded. If you have some bonus, you don't move Rashawn Holmes. And then what? You're not going to pick Chet Holmgren or Jabari Smith. You're going to try to trade down, take one of those guys uh, and trade somebody else. Well, like, here, here is what I will say. Chet Holmgren is kind of an incredible fit with Demonis. Like he's, he's the one that like could make this work. If they completely maybe. flail the rest of the way, like All right. he's that's, the that's, one that's where it's some, like, okay. some silver lining. And they got to draft yeah, them, like, right? If, if they have that pick, like don't don't go bonkers when when you yeah. have that pick and take no. the not safer um, play, but safer for their fit. Yeah, no, I, I I'm blown away. By this. Like I, I, <laughs> I think you did pretty I, well I, for how blown away you were. You you actually uh, contextualize a little bit. Yeah. So in, in the case of Indiana, you're right. We should talk about Indiana. I am such a fan. I, I mean, like the Pacers. You know, two of my favorite prospects in the last two drafts were Tyrese Halliburton and Chris Duarte. So now they're together, and that makes yeah, me happy. it's great. Like <laughs> it's Sam's fantasy team, but they're also yeah, I, I, they're, they're also thirteenth, which is interesting because then the in the West Sacramento's thirteenth, and I, I thought the same with with Duarte too. And this started with the Karis Levert trade a little bit. Is that it, is this some sort of statement of belief in Chris Duarte slash 
is this where the value of actually drafting older makes sense? Like he he's 24, mm-hmm. but maybe him producing and being 24 helped you move Levert. And ironically, you acquired picks to get younger. So right now they have somewhere between like the fifth and eighth pick. Uh, they got like 22 and 32. So now you can take those guys, the end of the first round, early second, and pre-draft and, and stash away guys. And if everybody gets healthy, your core can be Malcolm Brogdon, uh, Tyrese Hubbard, and Chris Duarte. Miles Turner, all the draft picks. Like that's not a bad build for the future, from from my view anyway, for the Pacers. Yeah, and they have Malcolm Brogdon still. Like yeah, as long as he gets healthy, he's right? Really good player that you know, if he stays healthy, will be really valuable. If I was them, I would probably move Brogdon this summer. They can't move him at the deadline because of uh the fact that they gave him an extension. But if I was them, I'd probably move him this summer for like an athletic guard. Like I would want someone that can like really truly break down a defense next to Tyrese Halliburton and Chris Duarte because Halliburton's really improved there. And I think that, you know, that ultimately is now the skill. Now that he has the pull up jumper down, like him being able to really truly break down defenders is going to be the thing that tells the tale of his ceiling. Like how much pressure can he consistently put on the rim? It hasn't been a lot yet. But, you know, I think the Pacers need someone that can regularly do that. And Chris Duarte is not really that guy either. So uh, I, if I was the Pacers, that's what I would look to do. Acquire a really good guard who can pressure the basket at a high level and um, look to improve that way. Uh, you know, I'm not saying it'll be this guy, but like someone in the vein of a Jalen Suggs, like someone who fits their timeline that is just like a super downhill creator who defends at a high level. Um, on the ball particularly and is just really uh aggressive is what i would look for well that, again that, like it won't that, be jalen Suggs because orlando's gonna no keep him, but, but like but someone maybe, like that but maybe that's also without the trade say the brogging thing doesn't work or you get somebody else kind of what we have in the draft and jay nivey you have like that fourth fifth ish yeah. type pick like that's a possibility too not a, a long commute for him to go to purdue down to indiana to play for the pacers uh, i'm not trying to get too far down the line but those are probably some of the possibilities they thought about and and getting younger and and looking at the freshman class and let's just stash and let these guys develop over time we're not going to win this year but build around Tyrese Halliburton built around maybe Chris Duarte and the other pieces they already have yeah if I was them I would pretty aggressively pursue Jaden Ivey in this year's draft um I think that's the exact guy that they need to make this work. Um, But we'll see. Uh, No, I I think that the Pacers are off to a very strong start in their rebuild. They have um, a lot of really smart guys that are really scalable players, which will allow them to hopefully get the star here moving forward. Uh, It's almost like a Raptorsian rebuild where they got the guys that fit around the star and now the Raptors try and find the star and it might be Scotty Barnes. You know, it might be this version of Pascal Siakam. That's been incredible uh, since he has returned from his like year and a half where he wasn't awesome. But by keeping OG Ananobi and I mean, Fred Van Vliet has turned into something different, but he was a guy that like had a really high floor. Like some of the guys we're talking about, like Chris Duarte and Tyrese Halliburton. Right. Um, but by keeping some of the guys that they kept around, Gary Trent Jr., signing him to his extension, they've set themselves up really well to have the pieces in place that once they get the star, develop the star, they're going to be able to make a leap up the East. And we're seeing that literally right now with what's going on. So, okay, let's go to the next deal. Um, let's do it. 
The New Orleans Pelicans acquire CJ McCollum, Larry Nance Jr., and Tony Snell from the Portland Trailblazers for Josh Hart, Tomas Sadoransky, Nikhil Alexander Walker, Didi Luzada, a 2022 protected first round pick that has some kind of funky protections on it. Yeah. It's essentially like protected for this year to where the Blazers get it if it's between five and 14, 14. I believe. Yep. yep. Um, which frankly is probably where the Pelicans end up at this point, uh, barring a weird playoff surge here if they get Zion Williamson back um, in two second round picks. Okay. Weird deal um, for a number of reasons. One that I don't want to spend as much time talking about just because it is hard to analyze it without knowing what's going on with Zion Williamson. Um, if Zion Williamson is healthy, CJ is kind of an awesome fit. I yeah, think agree. as a shot creator, as someone who can be a pick and roll partner for Zion, um, they would have a second side shot creator, uh, there with Brandon Ingram that I think would fit really well. Devonte Graham and CJ McCollum is a disastrous defensive fit in the backcourt that probably will not go well, especially when mixed with Zion, who has been a mess defensively so far. Um, I don't love that aspect of it. Also, Brandon Ingram's not great defensively. <laughs> well, hold, hold, hold on. I think about they, it. They have Herb Jones, who, if you talk to fans, they act like he's the second coming. He has an unbelievable rookie season. I, I think he's a, a great glue guy for that group. Yeah, uh, but it's yeah a lot kind of relies on and even Larry Nance does, does he get healthy? Does Zion get back and get healthy? We can't really talk about what that starting five looks like because there's just so many variables right now that we don't know. Does, does Jose Alvarado continue the run that he's on? I'm a believer in Trey Murphy over time. Where does that thing go? Does, there's possibilities yeah. there. It's also a funkyish deal because the Pelicans and Blazers are tenth and eleventh. They kind of have like the same exact. Yeah. Standing, there's like, hey, let's move a few chairs around here and, and see kind of what it pops. Yeah. It's weird to me that the Pelicans prioritize CJ McCollum given that he doesn't totally fit their age timeline. To me, that probably says that there's some pressure to make the playoffs within the next couple of years, either from the Zion Williamson camp where they want to be good as soon as possible or from ownership. Um, but they didn't give up like a crazy amount of value here, uh, in order to acquire CJ and Larry Nance Jr., who, by the way, I think is worth like a late first round pick in terms of value. Uh, he is one of the more versatile defensive players in the NBA, right. who's a really good passer. Mm-hmm. Um, I love him in a variety of settings. I actually really like him next to Zion Williamson, to be honest, uh, because Zion can hopefully take on some of the like post-up responsibilities on bigs. And then you can have Larry Nance kind of flying around, um, you know, hopefully making up for some of Zion's deficiencies there. And they also have Jonas Valanciunas still uh, around, which is still one of the weirder acquisitions of the last year, given his potential fit with Zion. But we'll see how that works whenever Zion actually gets on the court. Um, The Pelicans got better today. They definitely improved their standing right now. Given that you and I have talked a lot about the questions of the 2022 NBA draft, Mm -hmm. I think it's probably unlikely that they would get someone at 
you know, 10. I think that right now their pick is like 10th or 11th in terms of value. Um, I believe it's 11th because they're in the last spot in the plan. Uh, it's unlikely that they would get someone at 11th that would completely change their franchise trajectory. Uh, CJ McCollum has a chance to really help. I think they need to go out and find a point guard. Also, if you were going to go out and trade for CJ McCollum, fucking keep Lonzo Ball. Like I know that was the, that that made its rads today <laughs> on Twitter too. Like who's the guy? Like a big creating guard doesn't really need to score. Yeah, it's Lonzo Ball. That he was there. Yeah, yeah, and like look, that, that's hindsight and everything. But uh, of it course, was bad. It was a bad move to move him in hindsight, right? Or like at the time, sorry. It was a silly move to give him up for what they gave him up for at the time, I thought. Um, I would have just matched his deal and re-signed him personally. But I understand that you know may- maybe that wasn't the direction they wanted to go and maybe it wasn't the direction Lonzo wanted to go, right? Mm-hmm. But you're now in a position where your backcourt is Devontae Graham and... CJ McCollum, which is not great. Uh, Herb Jones can do a lot. A lot. He's, I, I realized, like, uh, so I did rookie rankings today. I have Herb Jones fifth on my rookie wow. rankings. Wow, high but earned. Yeah. Like, he's like, definitely top eight-ish for me. I don't have to put out any rookie rankings, but it, the, the guy starts and plays and produces. The, the Pelicans, when Herb Jones is on the court, have a plus net rating. Um when he's off the court, they are 10 points per 100 possessions worse than their opposition. <laughs> like it is, and that's like a noisy number, but it's not an accident that since Herb Jones like entered the starting lineup full time, they are 18 and 17, I believe. So like Herb is really valuable and he's really good defensively and he makes up for a lot of holes. I don't know if he's making up for that defensive backcourt in terms of a hole, but you can stagger those guys and you can maybe make it work. Um, I worry about playmaking. I worry about this offense stagnating when Devontae Graham isn't out there because uh, Devontae is an unselfish player who can really shoot and keeps the ball moving a little bit. Um, in the case of CJ McCollum, CJ is best trying to get a shot. And that's not a slight at him. That's just what his like all-star level skill is, right? And, 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 um, good, at, and good at it too. And just to right. add a little color to that, there's a, a tweet today from Synergy. CJ McCollum has a has shot an effective field goal percentage of 72% on open spot-up jumpers, 50% on pull-ups, and 45% on floaters, while posting assist-to-turnover ratio of 2.3 in the half court this season. There's value in that. There's value in the scoring. Yeah. You're not just... You can't just roll the ball and say, "Hey, we got to score more than than they do." Like, yeah, okay, you have to defend too, but it's it's not a zero. Like, there's there's definitely uh, a price, and the the contract's a, a little crazy too because he makes so much more money than Josh Hart and, and everyone else. But if you have to win now and you kind of need a, a proven yeah. scorer, that guy was on the block. You can kind of take what's what's out there for the taking. Yeah, I I don't hate this. I, I guess is what I would say. Like, that's probably like a wishy washy answer. Um. I do I guess like I don't mind it. I don't hate it. It's it's not something that I'm like I, I think that it could really help the Pelicans. This is the kind of player that could really help the Pelicans when Zion gets back. But like that that's the cloud hanging over this. Like I don't know what's gonna happen with Zion. So what's the like it's almost not worth spending more time on it from their perspective just because we need to see Zion back. Theoretically, see Jim Cullum is a great fit with Zion and helps actualize he and brandon ingram together we need to see him back like that's that's kind of what it comes down to right so let's let's change gears here 
talk to me about Portland. What what are we doing here with Portland? Like you're moving, move Norman Powell. You move CJ McCollum, and it's not like it's scraps left. It's not, but there's remnants. Like what what are we doing here with Damian Lillard? Is, is this a move? And I know it freed up like twenty one million dollars in a trade exemption. You have all this free agency money in the summer. Are they going to be able to lure one of these higher end top tier guys to come out to Portland and play? Or is this a, a move before a move and you now have a younger core of Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Anthony Simons, Josh Hart? What does this look like in not even a year, but four months from now, five months from now? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> we don't have um, any answers. We're trying. Theoretically, I like what Portland did here. I thought that to get a lottery pick for CJ McCollum, along with Josh Hart, who's like a good basketball player, like has turned into a pretty valuable player this year, um, has been really helpful for the Pelicans. Like losing him is actually like a pretty real loss for them. Um, Getting a lottery pick, getting Josh Hart um, for CJ is pretty strong. I think like I'm a, I'm a fan of them doing that. Uh, it also clears their books to a substantial margin in a way that they really like kind of desperately needed to do. Um, you know, losing, uh, you know, the Robert Covington and uh, Norman Powell, I believe that those guys, particularly Powell had like $75 million left yeah. long-term on their deal whenever Portland traded them and they acquired guys back from the Clippers that had right around like 10 to 12 million left guaranteed on their deal. Um, in this deal, Tomas Sadoransky is a expiring contract. Like there's, you don't have to worry about keeping him around. Um, he's gone. Like he'll probably, honestly, he'll probably be in Europe next year. Uh, Cause he is like completely valueless at this point by NBA standards. Uh, Josh Hart's a good player, and if you really need to move Josh Hart this summer, you'd be able to do that. No questions no asked. Question. I wouldn't yeah. move him. I think he's a pretty useful player, and he's you know somewhat on their age timeline if they keep Damian Lillard. But if they wanted to move him, they could move him. Um, Nikhil Alexander Walker is like purely a project that like it's like a second draft reclamation candidate uh, because his his just trajectory has not worked out at all in the way that I thought. And uh, oh, by the way, as we're talking, Bradley oh. Beal is uh, undergoing a season-ending surgery uh, on his left wrist. So that is going to end any Benson and speculation there. Um, all right. Real time. So essentially what Portland is doing, I think, is it's clearing its flexibility in order to do one of two things. They can try and utilize the sign-and-trade function this summer in order to acquire talent around Damian Lillard that could make sense for them. Or they're setting up to move Damian Lillard this summer. And if I was Philly, I'd be calling about Damian Lillard just right now, just to check Mm -hmm. in uh, to see what they're doing, because this is not (laughs) the shape of a... They're sending the you up text right now. Just just to to check in. this is not the shape of a roster, though, that is going to be competitive. Correct. Moving forward. Yeah, that, that's where I am, too. And it wasn't that before, but it's really not that now. And 
if I was them, I'd be kind of seeing what the market is for Dame right now. Um, I, I don't think, look, I'd be surprised if Damian Lillard moved just because it seems like they're both really committed there to that relationship working. I think Damian Lillard like genuinely wants to win in Portland. If I was an opposing team, I'd be calling about Damian Lillard right now and just seeing where what's what's going on there. Yeah, take the temperature. The, the McCollum thing had to happen, though. I mean, they made their Western Conference Finals in, in 18, 19. They finished third in the West. They're eighth the following season, sixth the year after that. Now they're 11th. They've had injuries. They're 21 and 33. So I get it. But when Dame Lillard does come back healthy, like he's going to want pieces and he's done every reboot, remodel possible. He wants to win, yeah. and and I don't know if it's repackaging of these guys or the trade exemption really works, and they really can lure a free agent there. It's just not the easiest thing in the world to do. You can't just clear money and say, hey, we're going to get one of the top six free agent guys out there. They're, they're going to go to other markets first, uh, and then you have to sell the appeal of, of playing with Dame Lillard and playing with the guys that are currently on your roster. Maybe it takes one yeah. domino, and then you get the second guy says, all right, they've Dame, player A, you pull me in there. They have Anthony Simons, who's emerging. You have Josh Hart. Then you're a decent core. But you're probably still two contributors away before they can like make that next leap back into the playoff picture. So I'm just going to kind of run through Portland's leading scorers so far this year. Oh, it's, uh, I've looked. <laughs> Damian Lillard, obviously. Mm-hmm. CJ McCollum, no longer on the team. Norman Powell, no longer on the team. Mm-hmm. Anthony Simons, restricted free agent this summer, probably going to get a lot of money from Portland and should. He's been really good. He's averaged 20 points per game since he's entered the starting lineup. You know, useful player, right? Um, Yusuf Nurkic, free agent this summer. Nasir Little out for the year. Uh, valuable piece moving forward for them, but probably more of like a, you know, lower end starting wing slash rotational wing. Um, ben McLemore, just a guy, like minimum okay. scale player. Uh, Robert Covington, no longer on the team. Larry Nance Jr., no longer on the team. Those are your top nine in the rotation this year. Yeah, uh, that's... Uh, look, uh, I'd be calling about Damian Lillard at this point. <laughs> is what I would say. We're back to Dillard. It's damn time. Okay, um, that, that's all I have to say about that. Like, Portland needs to figure out direction. Uh, if they did this without consulting Dame ahead of time, and did this without like kind of a real concerted plan in terms of we are going to move Dame this summer. You know, and then, or we're going to move Dame now in addition to all these guys, or we're going to keep Dame and then bring guys in in sign and trades in, right. in order to rebuild the roster around him. I, uh, I think that would be their mistake. We don't yet have enough information to 100% know that there's a chance this is a big mistake. Um, there's a chance that it's not. And I think I just want more information before we you know, really dive deep into this. We're half-baked. We're not screaming. We're, we're talking loudly. We could be screaming after the summer, but let, let's see how free agency kind of shakes out and if there are any more trades. And, and luckily, I hope Bradley Beal's surgery is the last NBA update that we have to adjust to as we're, uh, as we're recording here during the trade deadline, which is very fun for all of us. Okay. Last deal. Karis LeVert to the... Cleveland Cavaliers for Ricky Rubio, the Cavs first round pick this year that is lottery protected and uh, the Houston Rockets uh, 
2022 second round pick, which the Cavs owned. There are also, uh, I believe that Houston or not Houston. I'm sorry. I believe that Indiana also gets Miami's second round pick this year. So essentially Cleveland or uh, Indiana moves 20 spots up or no Cleveland gets that pick. So Indiana is moving 20 spots up in the second round in addition to acquiring a first round pick. Yeah. And the uh, the Cavs, I believe, are acquiring a 2027 or 2025 second round pick uh, as well, something like that. Or th- there's like a second round pick sure. in there somewhere. What matters here is essentially Karis Levert for Ricky Rubio, the 22nd pick and like the 33rd pick in the 2022 NBA draft, something like that ballpark. Um, this is a great pickup for the Cavs. I think that. Karras is a flawed player, uh, but he's something that Cleveland desperately needed. um, And they have the insulation around him in order to get the most out of him, actually, because they have the defensive guys that will be able to make up for him when he gets beat on the ball. They have the um, lack of wing depth and size and shot creation to where Karras will get real opportunities to be able to make things happen with the ball. And on top of that, um, they give up like a pick here in a draft in 2022 that is not very good. Like something like the 20th to 25th pick in the draft. Like that's me. fine. Yeah. Karras yeah, helps them. And if you're Indiana, like it's great to pick up that asset, but that, like, that's why it works for both yeah. ends. Karras is a, an injection of offense on a team that has defensive pieces to, to hide the deficiencies or the holes in his game. And it shows Cleveland's commitment to making a real run at it right now in, in the Eastern conference. I was very critical of the, the moves they made with, with pairing the bigs together. It's all worked. Karras Garland has been great. They've found ways to play together and Indiana gets another piece, probably a, a younger guy, I would guess, at the end of the first round. And that fits what I see anyway as their vision going forward. Just keep building these younger guys around Tyrese Halliburton and Chris Duarte and Malcolm Brogdon and see where you end up. Yeah, and they, they really needed a secondary shot creator mm-hmm. on some level uh, next to Darius Garland because Ricky Rubio, who paired really, really well with uh, Darius early in the season as a second ball handler out on the court is obviously out for the year with torn ACL. And then Colin Sexton's out for the year with, I believe torn meniscus. I know it's a knee injury. Um, so they didn't really have that other guy. Like the, their second, they're like their starting two guard right now is Isaac Okoro, who we both like, but is defensively, but I'm not thinking he's an offensive creator. Right. I mean, exactly. I haven't had a game to, to make stops, can make an open three here once in a while, but I'm not hitting him on the wing when we're down one in crunch time. But Karis Avert for, for the good, the bad, like he's going to get you some buckets when you need him. Right. Totally. And Karis needs to play well with others. Like if, if you watch the Pacers <laughs> this year, like when Karis was on the court, it was like the Karis show. And then when someone else was like running the show, like when someone else was on the court, it was like, oh, this is like a functioning offense. Like this looks nice. Like this is really like rolling well. Things look good here. Um, but when Karis was out there, it was just like all Karis all the time. Like it was so aggressively Levert centric that um, it was odd to watch for a team that like does have some good distributors and unselfish players. Um, so he needs to adjust that mindset just a little bit. 
But if he does that, it's a really good fit next to Darius Garland, who can also play off the ball. Like, that's the big thing for me is like Darius Garland. I mean, you watched him in AAU as much as I did. Like, mm-hmm. um, when he was young, like he played off the ball. Like, he was he not did. really a point guard until like his junior year of high school, like maybe even like midway through his junior year of high school. Like it was, he was like an off guard shooter for a long time. And a lot of those skills have translated to the NBA in the way that he can kind of run off the screens and do both play off the ball and do a lot of different stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Do both in your backcourt. And that's why there there's value in the way that he can play interchangeably. And when you you make shots and do it at an all-star level, that's easier to put those other scores or distributors next to you. And you have Evan Mobley, you have Jared Allen. It's it's at least piqued my interest to see how this looks for the rest of the year for Cleveland. The last point I want to bring up with Karras is Karras is an over-dribbler. He is a uh, aggressive player. But the one thing that he does really, really well as a passer is hit the roll man. And... In Cleveland's case, they have Jared Allen, who's one of the rollers. best runners in the NBA, yeah. and Lowry Markkinen, who's one of the best pick-and-pop players in the NBA, and Evan Mobley, who's an awesome short roll option. So a lot of diversity of roll options there for Karras, and he's really, really good at hitting that guy. He's in the top 30 point in the NBA this season in points derived from passing to the roll man uh, in the NBA. So I don't know. I, I think it's not a uh, not a bad option. And by the way, that number is from Synergy, who is just the best. By the, the best. Way. Shout Karras out and the Rollers. Shout out Synergy. Shout out. Shout out Matt Curley. Okay. Uh, let's take a quick commercial break, and then we're going to get to the race for number one, which is our uh, weekly segment that we tend to have fun with. Okay, we're back. Uh, this is this is going to be the Matt Penny show. I feel like I just Ooh. talked for like forty minutes. Out of I was minutes I was there. I was in the batter's box, just hoping to throw me a slider. I was prepared for fastball, the curve, the knuckleball, no slider. So it was good. <laughs> there was no there was no new deals. I didn't have a, at least a couple stats to to pull up. But the, my comfort zone is still the draft. It's it's still the race for number one. The guys that I've watched every single week for the last God knows how long. So we're we're back to my my comfort my home food right here and we're particularly about to enter your uh home food here <laughs> with uh chet holmgren just looks phenomenal uh it's chet happening. holmgren has like it's happening genuinely taken the leap like it's not just okay like chet holmgren he's a like contender for the number one overall pick i guess like he's definitely in that top three mix uh we're at the point with chet where I think there is a very real case that he should be the number one overall pick over Jabari Smith. I don't know that I'm quite there yet, but it's essentially like 1A and 1B in my mind. Uh, You look at Chet's numbers last week, uh, 23 points, 12 rebounds, four blocks against San Diego, made three threes in that game, shot Mm -hmm. 9-12 from the field. Uh, Against BYU, I mean, he was a fucking joke against BYU. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like 20 points, 17 rebounds, six assists, five, five blocks, blocks, nine of 14 from the field. BYU is a top 30 team in the country. Um, he obliterated them. It is one of probably 
Like we talked a lot about like, Hey, what's the best prospect game that we've seen this year uh, earlier in the season? Like, I think we talked about that, like right at the turn of the year or so Um, that that is the best prospect game I've seen this year. Top four. It's it's Um, in the mix. Yeah. Like he annihilated BYU on both ends. He did every single thing that he will be asked to do in terms of translatability to the NBA in that game, even over Johnny Davis against Purdue, even over Johnny Davis against Houston, I guess, <laughs> over Ochai against Michigan State. Um, that was the best prospect game I've seen from any player this year. I think uh, against BYU. Jabari uh, Smith against Alabama was ridiculous too. For Chet Holmgren, you know the saying that he does things on the court that you can't teach? Chet does yeah. things on the court that like you can't even fathom. And I've watched Chet for five years now, yeah, six, six years it's now. It's like it's like things you wouldn't even think to teach him. Right. And, and even when you've seen him as, as much as I have, I'm still like surprised watching the game. And I was up Saturday night watching it at 11 o'clock or whatever it was. I'd love to, I couldn't look away. Like everything, everything that was happening, like just didn't make sense. So the game before <laughs> we were going back and forth talking when he had 11 points in 90 seconds in San Diego and he like blocks a shot, goes end to end layup. Uh, steal three, steal three, steal three. The announcers are laughing because yeah, that that's the only like response that made sense. Like, what are we doing? They're rooting for him. Pitch it back. Get him another one. Hits a the, three. They're, the they're, the they're, one play was hysterical. It was like blocked shot, blocked shot, grab and go. Like got his own rebound. Like handed it off. Like right as he crossed half court, came back to Nemhard for a trailer three, yeah. and it's just like. It was, it was, it was 11, 11 points in 90 seconds, like within the flow of what was going on. Not the, not yeah. a, hey, I'm searching. I'm trying to get like one more. Like I'm trying to get 30. It was w- within what they were doing. And then he does the, uh, you know, seeing wedding crashers when they're playing football and there's an injury. They go, yeah, daiquiris. He did the run it back. He, like they call timeout. He goes, yeah, daiquiris. Run it back. Like we'll, we'll do this again. We'll do another round. <laughs> and and then like he did and mark few like had to talk to him he said hey man we we just celebrate with our teammates here because he did the two little thing early in the game too he's like don't do that so i think now it's just like run it back to his teammates like let's do it again by, by the way like mark drew timmy has been telling guys <laughs> that they're too small for like two years with, now with, I've been with, doing with the mustache like, he's a grown man but hey what but, what, whatever let, let, let chetty he's a cheat code in the, in the WCC, he is. I mean, a few of the plays, and I took notes from watching the BYU game because I'm going to forget this. I'm going to rewatch on Synergy. Here's just a few of them. He catches it in the post, and he finishes like over the top of his head. Like the rims here just finishes over the top of the head. I'm like, all right, that's that's strange. Out of pick and roll, they're in drop coverage, and the the ball handler comes off. He's in drop coverage, and he still closes out and blocks the shot. I said, I don't know if I've seen that. Like, before, not a challenge. Like he reached out and blocked the shot. Uh, there was another play. He was called for a foul, but he blocked a shot. The ball went to a different guy. He recovered and blocked that guy's shot on his second jump. I, I just don't like it doesn't uh, I, I don't like how do you do this on a basketball court? So this is where I'm at. I still my think, brain doesn't compute him. No, like, it doesn't. That's why it's yeah. so hard to put it, it to words. And by the way, like the most impressive thing I saw him do this week was there was that play where he was like rim running and he fucking like OBJ style 
catches it one handed. Oh, on yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. That was the one way above the rim down the far end of the court. Yeah. Way above the rim, yep. somehow dunks it all in one fell swoop. And it's just like, this guy is fucking seven foot tall. There is no way he should be able to do this. Like, there is no way that someone should be so coordinated that he should be able to go up, get that ball with one hand, his inside hand, by the way, which is an even harder catch than it Mm -hmm. is if he was going up with his left, catching it and dunking it all in one. It was I was just like, I I can't fathom. I can't fathom someone who is like six foot nine making that catch, let alone like someone who's seven foot one and like gangly and still growing into his body. (laughs) Yeah. Like his coordination is insane. And getting comfortable with the college game and and actually getting his feet wet. And is his play just more about getting acclimated to college and everything clicking? Or some people point to, is it the competition level in the WCC where it's not their non-conference schedule where it was Duke, Texas, UCLA, Alabama, Texas Tech? I just think it's clicking. I know the post defenders and the guys closing out aren't the same caliber of talent or, or height or length or wingspan. The guys in WCC play shooting 69% of the field and 60% from three. Like it, yeah. in, and so like, I, I also start digging. I, I'm a big, like, let me see what opposing coaches are saying. Let me see what they say post game. And Mark Pope from BYU, the head coach had a quote after the game and it, it kind of made me twist my thinking a little bit. He said, he's a ball screen guy. You kind of have to pick your poison. You're either going to not switch him and give him up a 64% three point shooter or you're going to switch and you're going to have an undersized issue, which we had three times in the lane with him. So maybe I'm even looking at it, and I'm very high on Chet, but maybe I'm looking at it differently where I thought he'd be a liability because he's so skinny, but maybe it's a strength because the defense doesn't even know like how to defend that. You're, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, when he catches the ball or doesn't catch it because he scores so many different ways. Yeah, And look, part of this is that BYU – like starts to very undersized guards. Sure. So like if they're switching one of Tejon Lucas or Alex Barcelo onto Chet Holmgren, like that, it's right. He has a foot game, on yeah, those guys. Game. Right. Yeah. And like, that's something that will happen occasionally in the NBA, but not as much. Right. Um, I, I just, BYU is a top 40 team, top 30 team in the country. They're good. Right. Yeah, they're good. Like, they're actually good. The teams near them in the Ken Palm rankings right now North Carolina, Oklahoma, Florida, Michigan, Mississippi State, Providence. Providence is a top 10 team. You know, like, Providence probably shouldn't be 42nd in Ken Palm, but I understand based off the math why they are. Um, <sighs> Chet Holmgren is so good right now uh, in terms of the way that he impacts both ends of the court. That to me is why that BYU game was the most impressive game I'd seen. Um, Johnny Davis was great on offense against Purdue and he was good on the ball defensively. He didn't completely obliterate everything BYU or, uh, you know, Purdue wanted to do with the basket. Like he didn't completely, you know, make it so like it was impossible for uh, Purdue to score. BYU in that game shot 33% from two-point range. Mm -hmm. Like they couldn't go in there and score if they tried. They scored 57 points on 82 possessions. That was an 82-possession game. (laughs) That was not like a 70-possession game where Gonzaga got hot. Like BYU, they did okay defensively. 
Like if we're being honest, like BYU was not the defense was not the problem there. Uh, the problem was that they could not score effectively with Chet Holmgren in the game uh, against Gonzaga. Like for him to go 2017, he completely shut down the defensive side of the glass. Obviously, like no second chance opportunities. Um, it, it's yeah that that was that was an incredible basketball game. It, it was. And Incredible, he, and, 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 and you even wanted like, to. Yeah. It, it was when they were up by so many too. I, I honestly couldn't change the channel. I couldn't go to bed. I couldn't watch a different game because I was waiting for what Chet did next. Because he was in such a groove on both sides of the floor. I didn't. I didn't care. It was a twenty point game. Like I, I wanted to see no. the next play on defense. I want to see offensively. Is he going to now shot fake and take it off the dribble and try to dunk on a guy? Is he going to hit another three? He's uncovering even more stuff that I didn't know he had in his offensive bag. I, I'm very curious to see kind of how this shifts because we we talked about doing a race for number one segment and, and said, yeah, maybe we'll do it for a week or two. It still feels like a race. Like you, I had Paulo yeah. number one. I had yeah, you, number you one. brought I had up Dabari a good point. One. It's, it's, yeah, all, you, it's all changing kind of by yeah. the week, and I don't want to be too like hot takey and say, hey, every week I have a new number one guy, but it's still a battle. Like I don't think anything is set in stone. Well, I, I want to just like kind of let you tell me what you – said on the phone yesterday like it, it's a literal roller coaster like i, I yeah. think that that's like the best comparison <laughs> yeah. at this point it is. it is and and i think we're we're kind of like you know jabari was like all the way up like a week ago it's this guy's a, a runaway and he's doing anything right then he had a, a couple okay games he only had seven field goal attempts versus georgia when katie johnson and wendell green combined for 39 so he was just all right uh paulo we've seen just kind of the the lack of scoring at times and creation, which is kind of nuts because he was noted for that. I don't think he took – did he take a shot? Did he score in the second half of the game yesterday took, against Virginia? Took one shot, did not score against Virginia. So, like, they're kind of going here and Chet's going up. But, hey, it's a roller coaster. It's not it's not Splash Mountain. It's not one drop. Like, we're going to go back up. I don't know where it ends up during the year. and We kind of have to frame it, too, of, of who they're playing and who they're playing with and, and next to. Uh, but yeah, it's probably like a, a slight edge to to Chet right now. Despite last week me saying definitively it was Jabari Smith. Jabari Smith, the, a fantastic prospect, could still be number one. If we're just going based on a week or two and in, in the development of what we've seen in front of us and our eyes, it's Chet Holmgren for the moment. Are you at the point, and this is a good question that will involve this Virginia game uh, against Duke, where Virginia beat Duke uh, 69-68, I believe was the final score. Um Duke was terrible defensively in that game. Uh, the last possession was like a pretty real breakdown from Mark Williams where it looked like Mark thought they were supposed to be in zone and they weren't. And he left the inbound man uh, and that was Reese Beekman and Reese Beekman went out and knocked down a game winning three. Um, Bancaro was also not awesome on defense yeah. in that game. Like, Tony Bennett did a really good job of kind of isolating him in space, I thought, and trying to take advantage of what he brought to the table. Uh, on top of that, like he didn't score in the second half. Are you at the point where you're considering this potentially a two-person draft, given that I know you've been lower on Paulo throughout yeah. the year. Uh, you have seen him more in the Jaden Ivy, Johnny Davis range yes. uh, where you have those guys ranked. Um, are you at the point where you see this as more of a Chet and Jabari draft as opposed to like Chet, Jabari and Paulo, or are you, you know, still like in that five person range? Like where, where are you at on this? Chet and Jabari for me. And then the, the next kind of tier is 
and, and I don't have orders, but the next tier is Paolo, Jaden Ivey, and, and Johnny Davis. And Jaden Ivey's been significantly better than Johnny Davis the last week or two. Johnny's hit some rough shooting performances. Penn State really shut him down. I think he's like two for 14. With, yeah. with Paolo, it's just the, he's stripped too often off the dribble. There's too much hesitation getting to his move where it should be more of a, a catch and shoot. The efficiency has dropped. He was five for 15 against Louisville, 10 for 22 against Notre Dame, five for 14 against North Carolina. Not great last night. Just the, the holes are, are showing themselves more. And then on the Duke roller coaster, he's also next yeah. to AJ Griffin, who's now Superman at, depending on the game where he has 27 points against North Carolina, three for six from three, he's throwing a beach ball in the ocean. That's how big the hoop is. And then last night he's, Sort of pedestrian. Uh, and yeah. I think AJ and Paulo will kind of go like this. The Paulo from the beginning of the year, I still, regardless of, of how well he was playing, it was can he shoot from three? Is he able to defend in space? Is he able to guard up and down the lineup where the Jabari Smith and Chet Homer, and I just simply think can, can do more. And I'm, I'm worried about Paulo is going to be able to score, but how's that fit going to be defensively? And if there's really no three-point shot there and he's really taking one shot in the second half against Virginia, those are the type of things that make me kind of put him down that second tier as opposed to the first one. No, I think that's right. Um, okay. We're at an hour. We've done well. I feel like this we've been responsible. Good. Yeah, this is pretty good. We don't, we don't have a mailbag segment. So let, let's talk about what we wanted to talk about um, in terms of a second draft topic today and we're talking about it um following a game where one of the guys i wanted to mention here mark williams i didn't think was very good last night against virginia i know he had 16 <laughs> points he wasn't uh, and we, we prepped this whole thing because he's playing so well and that's like oh we yeah. do we miss our already before we even done the segment but something that i've kind of had a conversation with a couple people on twitter is this idea that are the centers who project as potential starting centers in the NBA, uh, Mark Williams, Christian Coloco, I think has a shot to be that, and Walker Kessler at Auburn, I think has a shot to be that. Yep. Are we underrating how good they've been so far this year? Those are three of the best defensive players in college basketball this year. Like I would argue three of probably the five best, even though Mark did not play well on that end last night. Um Walker had a couple games early in the season where he wasn't great. I don't know the Colocos had like a total fucking stinker on that end yet, to be honest. But no. um, nonetheless, I guess my point is like you and I particularly, like we, we can acknowledge our flaws here, I think. Oh, we always do. Yeah. You and I tend to not disregard centers, but devalue the center position a little bit because there are so many of them in the marketplace in the NBA. I'll be honest, like having to talk, having talked to teams around the NBA trade deadline this year, there are so many teams chasing centers right now. <laughs> well, it's, and, it, it just changes by the year. It's like we devalue centers, then we prioritize centers. We want Bam out of bio. We don't want Bam out of bio. We want big facilitators. Oh, let's trade Tyrese Halliburton. It, it changes by the year <laughs> and the season. Like, I, I, does anyone know uh, what they're doing? Uh, and I, I'd add a couple more bigs to that group. I'd add EJ Liddell, who's playing really well, and he might be early second. That's fine. I also, also add Jalen Duran, who I, I don't think is the necessarily the best evaluation prospect wise typeish place at, at Memphis Walker Kessler. It seems at least the last say two to three weeks has kind of jumped those guys. And and I have him in like the early twenties. I don't know if I would take a, a center. Much Wait, higher. I'm sorry. Do you think Walker Kessler has jumped Jalen Duran? 
Uh, no, but the first guys you mentioned, okay. Christian Coloco and Mark yeah. Williams, or that that kind of grouping, because you're still going to take Dern based off the high school stuff, the flashes. I, I still remember the Jalen Dern that was MVP of Pangos Camp and one Peach Jam like six months ago. So I, I and I, I actually watched some of his stuff last night too, and said it's still there. There there's still flashes there in a game of of Dern blocking shots and running the court and make some really nice passes. Yes. He's got to eliminate some of the crazy passes and. Not everything has to be a no look, and not everything has to be razzle dazzle. Like you can just make a simple one once in a while. Yeah. But Kessler, anyway, I, I don't know if I would take him higher than twenty. He, he's right up to where he should be. Mark Williams, I think I have around twenty five or so. Christian Coloco, I love the defense. I <clears throat> I am worried about the offense, and I don't want to say it's like a zero offensively, but there's a lot of post stuff that's pretty mechanical, and it's just like clean up and he'll box out. I don't know. Oh, he. he- he has more offensive possessions, Coloco, where it is like, uh, oh, this right, <laughs> right. So I don't non-starter. I, I, like some of them are like really, really bad. Where he's like bricking the ball off the glass on it, like a weird and, mechanical and, post move, it, and he does the beginning stuff right. He makes a huge target. He gets low. He carves out a lot of space. I, I can't get there with the offense I mean, the the work and the development he put in during the offseason shows he, he's doubled his points his rebounds his blocks he's as good a defensive five in the country uh, I, I like how vocal he is on defense he, he covers so much ground to get across the lane and, and help I mean there was a play against USC where he like walled up and then like still like blocked the shot there's a, a game uh, there's a play against UCLA where he got caught in a switch on the perimeter and he's on Tiger Campbell, and the ball goes in the post, and he darts down and blocks that shot. There's value in that, but if the offense is, is not a zero, but not a, a huge game changer, that's a, a late first-round guy that can come off the bench, but I don't know if necessarily an NBA starter off the jump. Yeah, I've been wondering if he is kind of the closest thing we've seen to Clint Capella since Capella came in, and Capella went late first round as well. Yeah. Um, Maybe should have gone earlier, given the way his career has gone. Uh, but a guy that, you know, early in his career, uh, you know, Coloco's done his early career at Arizona. Capella just did it in the NBA. Um, was very raw, like not a cre- not an incredible amount of skill. Really, like, had to learn the feel stuff. Like, really had to learn just, like, not being mechanical, like, playing fluid basketball. And I I think there are a lot of tools there with Coloco where I see some similarities. I have, like I did like Capella's frame a little bit better than Coloco's. Coloco just has a very skinny lower half that worries me a little bit, just in terms of getting pushed around a bit more than what you would like to see. But he does high point the ball really, really well because of that length, because of that uh, anticipation on the glass. Like I think he does pretty okay job there. Um, the defensive like rim protection, the way they utilize him, I think is outstanding. They uh, do such a great job. And look, Tommy Lloyd is coming from that Gonzaga staff uh, where that staff for a decade now has been the best staff in college basketball at teaching the principle of verticality, teaching uh, how to stay upright around the basket, teaching um, not fouling around the basket. This has been just the best. You go back through the history of Gonzaga, even guys like Shemek Karnowski were utterly outstanding at it. Zach Collins had a really good backing in it. You know, 
the list goes on and on, right? Like we can go to like Jonathan Williams, the Missouri kid who transferred there, got really, really good at it. Um, so it's not a surprise that as Tommy Lloyd got to Arizona, Coloco took a leap in terms of his positioning and in terms of his uh, ability to stay big. And then they also use him in a deep drop, not even just like a flatter drop. They use him like they like they'll set like a high ball screen, the opposing team and Coloco will stand at the like foul line or even like inside the yeah. foul line without concern. Um, they force the guards to fight over the top. Sometimes the guards fight over the top. Sometimes, you know, you give up a pull up jumper and I think, for the college level, that's fine, right? Um, at the end of the day, Coloco might be the best defensive player in college basketball. Like yeah, he's, he's he's close. I mean, we we talked about Chet Holmgren earlier. Walker Kessler certainly has a case. I mean, uh, it, Bruce Pearl was talking about him last night during a halftime interview and said, you know, he he adjusts as well in the air and recovers better than anybody in the country. Yeah. It, it's hard to argue, and they're able to play their pace and their style because of, of how he's like the protector in the back. He's the the guy that, yep. that he's the calm within the storm. He, he's the steady hand that they have in the anchor of their defense. And Coloco is like very long. And, and like in terms of the way that like his arms extend high, like I would venture that his standing reach in like max vertical standing reach whenever he's protecting the rim is probably a little bit higher than Walker Kessler. But Kessler is just, he feels bigger in the way that he takes up space in the paint. Like he just feels like he is a presence there constantly. Like Coloco, it feels like you can kind of turn the corner on him because he's so skinny and then he'll just recover and block your shot. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause that's like what he's capable of with his length and with his quickness. Uh, it feels hard to even just get by Kessler. In like oh, he, all, he always recovers. He all, he's the, he, and yeah, you, you even turn, you you turn do, the corner. He's yeah. still there. It's like, don't shoot it. He's going to block it. And he always does. Yeah, it's really hard. Um, and I just think that like the Kessler offense is just so much further along than than all these guys. It is. Like I don't think like that play he had last week, where it was either a short roll or or, or he popped. He took one dribble from free throw line and dunked. I don't know if any of these guys are, are really doing that right now. I, I know his three point percentage is still like twenty yeah. percent. I don't know if those guys are, with the exception of E.J. Liddell, who does more of the offensive fluidity type stuff. But in terms of like trailing and, and getting the three off. I don't think you're really going to see that necessarily right now from Christian Coloco or Mark Williams. Well, and we should talk about Mark Williams. He feels like the middle ground to me between the two, to yeah. be honest. Um, better hands than Coloco. Same like measurements, I think, with like similar level athleticism. Uh, probably a little bit farther along in terms of his offensive dexterity. Better touch around the basket, I think. I don't feel like the ball is immediately going to be turned over whenever he puts the ball on the ground. Uh, like for one dribble, like off of a short roll. Um, not quite as big as Kessler, not quite as skilled as Kessler, but much more athletic than Kessler, I think. Like seems to move a, a little bit yeah. better. Um, like that, that's why I've had Mark Williams a little bit higher. Like I have Mark as a top 20 guy right now because I think he's kind of the middle ground between those two in like a pretty real way. Like yeah. he should be able to be like a great drop coverage, big defender while also being a great rim runner who can attack and finish above the basket and uh, be an incredible lob threat. So I, I don't know. It's, it, I do oh, wonder he if the, he owns like, the role. He owns the role of it yeah. too, right? He's, he's yep. the 99th percentile in points per possession. He shoots 70% from the field after shooting 60% from the field 
last year. He's only taken double-digit shots three times this season. He's playing on such a loaded Duke team with studs and, and draft guys that he's found a way to distinguish himself or, or separate himself when he's out there. One game, it's he's just catching lobs. The next, he's finding cutters out of the post. He had a mid-range jumper the other night. Duke becomes so much more dangerous when he has like that offensive type threat to his game, but he doesn't also like seek out the stuff. He's not stomping his feet when he doesn't get a touch. And and that's what yeah. I like it within the NBA system down the line is yeah, you're you're not gonna be a rookie as a, a five man getting a, a short roll touch. Like get some rebounds, rim run, keep the pressure on yeah. the opposing defense and just make your make your points and get your baskets and protect the rim when you can. Yeah, no, I think that's that's all right. The point of this exercise, and I don't know that I want to talk about EJ Liddell because EJ is like more of like a six, seven, four man who might play some small ball five. Like he's a little bit yeah, different. I, I, I think these guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Jalen Duran, like he's not a inefficiency in terms of where he's priced, right? Like you're going to have to take Jalen Duran at the very least, like it feels like in the back half of the lottery. Yeah. It'll probably be tough for him to Top play at the lottery. Top 15. Yeah. yeah. So I wonder to close the loop on this. Hmm. Do we think that Christian Coloco, Walker Kessler and Mark Williams, given that we're hunting, like let's be real about it too. Like we're (laughs) hunting for players. We're trying to find guys that are guaranteed first round picks right now. I wonder if those three are like have emerged into clear first round picks. um, Assuming that half the guys that, you know, we think are on the fence, your Max Christie's, your it's, Peyton it's, Watson's, it's, your it's, Josh Minot's. It's a your, fence sitter group. That's why it's so hard, right? It's, it's Bryce all McGowan's, Kennedy Chandler, you know, X, Y, and Z. Let's say like half those guys go back to school. Half those guys stay in the draft. Like it's going to open up a lot of first round pick opportunities potentially for guys that were productive upperclassmen. The only problem is there haven't been a ton of productive upperclassmen that have really stepped up there and emerged into that first round level prospect. So yeah, I, it, I wonder if th- if that's the group, if that's the group we're looking at that ends up like kind of emerging into that range. It, it could be. And and when I do my big board, I color, kind of color code it based off guys I think that may test and, and go back just so I have that like thought yeah. process in my head. Like if, if Watson, Wesley, Christie, Minot, Harrison Ingram, Trevor Keels, JD Davidson. Yeah. I mean, that's seven guys right there. Who's probably at least the top 35 or so. Caleb Houston. Haven't mentioned him yet. Amina yeah. Muhammad's a little bit lower. There's a lot of like testy guys that they they might go to workouts, might go to the combine, take a look and come back. And those bigs, I, I think Kessler's fine. I think Mark Williams is it'll probably be fine, but Coloco can, solidify his standing if and when those guys say hey we're we're gonna go back or or, or whatever yeah. it may be but there, there's gonna be openings because we, we are still searching like i watched kansas last night or or yeah it was kansas i'm like is christian brown a, a first round guy maybe bryce mcgowan's is another name like is he test does somebody say does indiana get crazy at, at 22 and say hey we're gonna promise harrison ingram he just like fits what we want to do offensively and, yeah. and that's then that spot's gone so they'll, they'll be in the mix. I, I, I'm not. I'm just hesitant to say they're definitively there right now until we get more information on that that freshman crop of of pre-draft guys that we're just going to keep talking about here until draft night. It seems like. Yeah. No, I agree. Okay. Prospect of the week: the Game Theory NBA Draft Prospect of the Week, Matt Penny. You're up first. 
I'm up first. Wow, that's great. So I'm opening my notes. I'm going here. Game theory, prospect of the week. I text this one to you, and then he promptly had 25 points. Stole my thunder a little bit, but I'm going to Quavion Smith from NC State. So he's averaging around 16 points, four rebounds a game as a freshman. He had 34 points on the road against North Carolina. He had 25 and 6 against Syracuse, shooting 41% from the field. The, a little bit of a backstory. So he was a top 100 kid coming out of high school, had a strong finish to his high school career. But like many, he was having his true breakout during the COVID summer that not a lot of people saw him and none of uh, as many grassroots eyes were fixated around him. So he kind of like snuck through, slipped through the cracks a little bit. Uh, that being said, I didn't anticipate him coming out with the numbers that he has out the gates. I've watched North Carolina State closely a, a number of times. It was admittedly because of Darion Sebron. And I'm like, okay, how does, how does he fit? Is, is he a real NBA guy? And I kept getting pulled back to, to Quavion Smith. It's the scoring package with Pops. The announcers in that North Carolina game said that Kevin Keats calls Traquavion the most unique player he's ever coached because of his confidence. And when you watch them, you can see the confidence. He doesn't need screens to free himself. <laughs> uh, despite the little bit of low release, he's chucking. He's getting off. He gets off cleanly, quickly. As an isolation scorer, he knows to extend and pushes the ball ahead of himself. Gets up and down transition. Has a floater in his bag. Has a 15-footer. Can shoot off ball reversals. Just an, an unwavering belief in his own game and ability. There's still some crazy attempts in there. There are. And as somehow his confidence has blossomed even more this season, he's close up to like 18 shots per game. So like he knows the the light is green and, yeah. and he's shooting. I, I think he's a classic year away prospect. Let, let's look at him and see what it is long term when he tightens up some of his other aspects of his game uh, while, while still being confident and showing that scoring prowess over the floor it can't always be the the one-on-one score stuff outside of the flow of the offense can't always be pull out and and let me get to it uh i I think some more size will help him convert more in the lane too as a freshman i had little to no expectations for him and he certainly made enough of a case himself to put himself on tracking radar for for future draft cycles so i loved your quavion smith i tweeted about him probably a month ago and said like, oh yeah, like I feel like if he goes back to NC State next year, he'll average like 17 points a game. Yeah, he's doing it now. Probably average 17 <laughs> yeah, points a game yeah, in the yeah. ACC this year. Yeah. Um, I'm a really big fan. Like, and you kind of the way that you outlined it, I thought was perfect because all of the skills that you outlined are things that translate directly to the NBA as a scoring guard, right? Like that ability to play off the two feet play in the lane, play on balance, get to that floater shot, um, pull up three-point ability. He's really sudden, I think, in the way That's that... That's a good word for it. He is sudden. Yeah, like he's very sudden in the way that he gets to his moves, get to his pull-up, gets to his pull-up game. Um, attacks, like he's very aggressive, obviously, looking for a shot. But the way that he separates is like violent, almost. Mm. Like he has this ability to just push guys way back and then stop on a dime and just get that bit of separation to where it almost doesn't matter that the release point is as low as it is because he's creating so much backward separation. Um, I've been kind of wondering if he's a 2022. Oh boy. Don't do that to me. No, why? Why? I, I know. But and like I, I don't think he should. Don't leave. I have I enough freshmen that I can't figure out like if they're good or not or first round picks. Why? Why are we doing this? I mean, he should one hundred percent test this year. Oof. Like, no question, right? Yeah, I mean, you're He's, averaging you're averaging this many points in in the ACC. Where 
trying he's to. He's been a better guys. offensive player than Bryce McGowan's, and we're talking about Bryce McGowan's testing and right. potentially being in this draft. Right. Like, Possible. He should test. Like Turquavian Smith should test for this draft. I think he should go back. Like physically, he is not ready to play in the NBA. Right. But I wonder if we look at him and he is like the Johnny Davis, like emerging Ooh. prospect next year. Well, I think he's he not good. He's not as good defensively as Johnny. No, is. he's not. And he's not Johnny's as physically. Have, yeah. Like, Johnny's always had like that stronger, wider frame yeah. base. The defense isn't there, but the scoring package is, is more diverse. The way, the way he scores. Absolutely. I mean, he might average like a very translatable 20 points for games as a yeah. sophomore. Yeah. If he goes back and like those guys going sophomores that average 20 points in the ACC in like ways that are directly translatable to the NBA, like those guys go in the lottery if they right. do that. So, um, could use some efficiency, needs the strength, needs, needs a lot still. Like, I don't think he would be successful going to the NBA next year. I think he'd probably really struggle, to be honest. And he needs to round out his game, really needs to round out the way that he sees the court as a passer. But I like him a lot. I think he's like a legit. There's something there. Like, I I think he is an NBA player. Like, when I watch him, I'm like, I'm watching an NBA player play basketball. Yeah. I feel like I I, I totally agree with him and with you. And that's why I thought. Needed at least an extended mention here, as opposed to a couple tweets, because he he's scoring, he's doing it. You don't you don't have that. I mean, you kind of didn't catch me off guard, but at the same time, I, I didn't prepare for you to say like, well, what about this draft? And, and maybe that's something that needs to be discussed uh, a little bit more, or maybe just trying to keep well, it on my toes. Like in a in a perfect world, he should absolutely be a twenty twenty three guy. It's just yeah. like we're hunting this year. <laughs> like I keep saying, like we're hunting for players this year to find that are first round picks. Uh, we, need um, pho- we need to Photoshop both of us, like wearing orange hunting shoots with guns and just like Photoshopped onto a draft hunting late first like hunting. I think we're, I, I, it's gonna happen. <laughs> uh, I, I think we're kind of like semi, we have an idea of the lottery, change a few names yeah. here and there. 16 on. It's like, whatever, man, Jeremy Sohan, Dirk Wavion Smith. But sure. Let's great. Maybe I'm in. Okay, the guy that I'm recognizing is the antithesis of Turquavion Smith, like in every single imaginable way, and yet is one of the most productive players in college basketball. Uh, it is David Roddy at Colorado State. Oh, he yeah. is probably my favorite player to watch in college basketball this year. Um, it is such a unique skill set. Uh, while I pull up what David Roddy is listed at, um, oh, I know, I know, I know what he's listed, listed at. at. I, I looked to okay. see what he was listed at for this exercise. What do you so, say he, he is versus what he's listed at? Is the question? Yeah, D- David Roddy is listed at six foot six, two fifty five. I don't think he's six foot six. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think he's two fifty five. Yeah, I don't know if he's two fifty five either. He might be a little bit heftier than that. Um, but God damn it, is he good at basketball? Yeah, he is so skilled. Like when I watch him shoot the basketball, like there are times where I'm like, okay, he's taking jumpers off the catch. He's taking them <laughs> confidently. Like he's just getting right into it fluidly. He doesn't take a ton of jumpers, but when he takes them, I'm like, this guy is like one of the best shooters in the draft. Just in terms of the way it comes out of his hand, uh, the way that it yeah. like, yeah, mechanically, like he shoots 48% from three. I don't know why this guy's only taking three, three point attempts per game. Like, he should be taking five or six. He can mm-hmm. really fucking shoot the basketball. Mm-hmm. Very skilled off the bounce. Very uh, 
powerful driver is the way to put it, has incredible feet. Like That's, really, yeah. really high level footwork. Um, looks like a bowling ball out there. Like legit looks like a um, powerful downhill bowling ball. Whenever he like pump fakes, attacks close out, tries to get to the basket. Good offensive rebounder, like good defensive rebounder, blocks shots, always in the right position defensively, always in the right position, just like in general, like Mm -hmm. the ball just finds him. Um, He moves really well without the ball. He seems to have like this innate skill level. Um, Everyone has played basketball with someone in their life who like is this hefty basketball player who just understands how to carve out space, understands how to use his body and also just has like unbelievable touch, right? Like has this incredible um, ability to just put the ball in the basket. Uh, David Roddy's that guy. He's just, it's just like most of the time, those guys that you play against, they fall off like around eighth grade or so. Like yeah. It's, it's <laughs> the early, the early bloomer. Even, He's been the same size yeah. as fourth grade. just falls off. By the time right. Like it's hard for them to like really, you know, continue on with basketball in terms of the conditioning, in terms of everything like that. Um, as you move up the levels, yeah. David Roddy is doing it as a junior in college. Uh, he's 20 years old. He's actually really young for the junior class. Uh, I- I'm blown away when I watch David Roddy. Uh, I have no idea if it'll work in the NBA. I frankly think that like he's probably going to be a great Euro League player. But- uh, awesome, too. Awesome, early. Yeah, player. with eight like eighteen points, eight rebounds, and like a handful of like highlight assists or at least passes per game too. Just yeah, to, like I didn't even mention the passing. Like he's yeah. a real pass. Like everything about his feel for the game, everything about his brain in terms of the way it works on a basketball court is elite. And on top of that, he's a terrific shooter that I think is really going to translate to the next levels as a shooter. Do I think he can defend in space? No. Like, I, I don't. Like, I think that he's probably going to get obliterated in space in the NBA because he's not quick enough. But I absolutely love him. I would want to bring him in for a workout if I was an NBA team. I would consider two weighing him if I was an NBA team. Oh. Just because, like, it is hard to find guys that are six foot six that I think have potential to shoot like this. Like, he shoots directly off the hop, it's right in the shooter's pocket. Like, it looks perfect coming out of his hand. Like, he has great feel for the game. He's so productive. I, I want David Roddy to be, I'm like wishing into existence that David Roddy is an NBA player. Oh, I thought you were going to say Summer League. He, he's the ultimate break my brain when you watch him because I didn't expect yeah. what I saw. You saw the measurements, like, okay, there's going to be a back to the basket, kind of like old school 5e force. Mm-hmm. No, this man shoots. Like, he, he goes. It's doesn't pass the eye he's test. A, he's a perimeter big. Yeah. 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 And he's like the, the Mack truck with a sports car engine. Like it doesn't work. It, it shouldn't. And, and somehow he does. Colorado State's really good. And it's largely because of him and, and what he's able to do on the floor. I, I'd, I'd like for him to be on a summer league roster, see what it looks like with, with different levels of athleticism. And you're not having most of the plays drawn up for you to, to come off screens and to create and to short roll and to do some stuff. But yeah, at the very least, he's a, a very fun watch in, in college basketball, and I'm gonna keep watching. I, I, I was slow to get on the train. I had a few people reach out say to to watch him. It was one of those like five or six names. So I'm glad that he was your your late addition and a, a great one as the game theory prospect of the week. 
Yeah, I, I just love him. Like, I, I love watching him play basketball. And I don't know if it's going to work in the NBA, but I wanted to give him some love. I want to yeah, talk about him good. a little bit. That's why we're here. Okay. Uh, the most important thing we're going to talk about today. Oscar nominations came out today, Matt Penny. And this is a big day for you. This is a big day for me. Yeah. Uh, what were your initial impressions of the Oscar nominations? <laughs> I, I like I, none. And, and the reason I say that is I don't think I've necessarily like watched enough of the movies that were nominated since yeah. Parasite won, which was what, three years ago? Yeah. So I've kind of just fallen off. I've just watched Two more basketball. Ago, think, yeah. Two years ago? Okay. More more basketball, more TV shows, more based on everything else. I, I, I'll i give the floor to you. I assume Licorice Pizza was going to be nominated for 700 things, and Dune was going to be nominated for 700 things, and we knew that In the Heights was going to get slighted. Uh, so I, I guess I'll just ping pong it back to you of, of what were your initial impressions on the Oscar nominations? I mean, so like when you watched Dune, mm-hmm. did you think I did not, gonna... I didn't, I did not see Dune. So, I... Oh, you haven't seen Dune yet? <laughs> Dune is worth watching. Dune's okay. like super cool. Um, and it's like a, like entertaining movie. Like it's not just a like Oscar bait movie. You know yep. what I mean? Right. Um, Dune is, interesting for a number of reasons it's incredible in terms of like set design production design costume like cinematography like it that movie i think that like what my review was on letterbox was like i think that this looked like the most expensive movie i've ever seen made like it it just more so so when you watched it it was more expensive like when i watched avatar i'm like oh this is a trillion dollars to make i I don't know how they afford this budget you thought it yeah, was no, more than that. Similar thing. Yeah, yeah. Similar thing with Dune, where it's just like this had to have cost a billion dollars right. to make this thing. <laughs> right. Like in terms of scale, like it just is so massive and looks unbelievable in terms of like the way it's shot. Um for Denis Villeneuve to not get nominated for best director for that, but for the movie to get 10 nominations Rare. almost like breaks my brain kind of. Yeah, because like if you're going to recognize the movie, it's hard for me. Like I would have more I would have understood it more logically if the movie got like two nominations than it getting 10 nominations and not getting director, because like it's just one of those movies where that makes sense. Um, Kristen Stewart Hive still exists. Uh, We're back. We're up and running. Spencer Hive is real. Spencer is one of the five best movies I saw last year. Um, I love it unconditionally. I think it's great. Have you uh, have you seen Coda? Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm looking on- at the list now. I think the only movie I've watched here was The Lost Daughter, which I told you was just. I get it. Like the acting was very strong, just a little yeah. too artsy for for me. But is so you're you're the movie connoisseur. You you watch a hundred times more movies than me. Is this a down year for movies? Do you think it was kind of consistent what it has been the last few? Like I, I'm looking here and just based on names alone, like King Richard, fine. But did it not have as much kind of pop at the top that it, it normally does where everyone's seen like two or three best picture nominations? We look at it now, it's like maybe the casual movie fan has seen one. Yeah. Maybe, like I would imagine like the casual movie fan has seen Dune and right. like maybe one other and that's it. Like th- th- this has potential to be like a really bad Oscars telecast. Just oh, it has of, like, to be. As, as, I'm, as I'm looking and it's not even like the traditional kind of like 
you'll get mad at me because I'll be like, Javier Bardem, Benedict Cumberbatch, they're big names, but not necessarily like the knock you over the the head type guys. I mean, best actors kind of loaded with Will, Will Smith and Denzel Washington. Yeah. But just the movies without having like that blockbuster or two sneak in, it, it might it might be uh might be a little bit of a, a rough ratings run for them. Yeah, and on top of that, a lot of the movies in that group, like they aren't movies that I think people love. Yeah. Like I think that a lot of them are like, oh yeah, that was a nice movie. Like Belfast, that was a nice movie. Like it was it's cool that you know, Kenneth Branagh made a movie about growing up in Belfast. Like, cool. We, we got to see Jamie Dornan sing. That, that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, King, King Richard. Like, you know, Will, oh, Smith. Yeah, Will Smith. That's great. Yeah, that's good. good We'd love to get Will Smith like an Oscar. That's great. Um, you know, he's he's fine in the movie. Like, the movie's fine. It's it's nice. Like, Nightmare Alley's two and a half hours. It It's like, again, like another movie where like the scale, it's just like, I don't know how this didn't cost $150 million looking at it, <laughs> it but might. like it's two and a half hours. And I, I don't know how it's, it's Guillermo del Toro, like uh, I don't know how he convinced any studio, I guess like coming off an Oscar with shape of water, like he got what he wanted, but that movie should not be two and a half hours. <laughs> like it right. just shouldn't be. Um, I still haven't seen licorice pizza yet. That's not, like it just hasn't come out here yet for whatever reason. Oh, um, interesting. It's strange. Yeah, all over the like place I could here. Probably, I mean, it's playing down the street at the the local <clears throat> art house movie cinema here. Yeah, like maybe I'll find like someone I know in like one of the guilds and stream it or something like that, like using a VPN. But um, I I haven't been able to see it yet. Um, yeah, no, it's it's weird. Like it's just weird. Um, th- this is not a to me. This was a movie year of like solid okay movies not like a you know oh my god like this there are four what's movies gonna win that, like, what are you gonna do like who's gonna pick away. somebody's gonna get snubbed doesn't doesn't feel like that that appetite's there yeah no like it, it doesn't feel like this is a year where it's like oh like there, there's no way that the power of the dog shouldn't win is there a movie like, that it, you're but... that you're rooting for that like you want to win all the stuff and that's when i really get drawn in and i I grew up watching yeah. the Oscars all the time. I, I think part of it too is is with COVID and the stuff shutting down. I haven't prioritized like going back out to the actual movie theaters. Yeah. And then if you're home, it's like let me watch something dumb on TV. I don't I don't want like two hours of just like locked into uh, a crazy serious movie. So until I think I kind of shift back into that world, it, it's hard for me to to watch because you do watch when you're when you're rooting for something that you've seen. You maybe identify with the characters, you identify with the story, the director, and you want them to to kind of be up on their stage and, and giving a a speech where they say like, "Hey, I didn't write anything, but here's uh here's five minutes of, of notes and people I have to thank." Yeah, yeah, like just kind of looking through Best Picture here, like Nightmare Alley, it's just going to be inaccessible for people because it's two and a half hours. Um, don't look up. I didn't like Don't Look Up. Like I, I thought it was fine, but I I didn't think it was exactly what you're saying. I didn't leave saying Best Picture. Like no way. Yeah. Uh, Dune, like, I think Dune is an incredible achievement. Like, I wouldn't mind Dune winning. Um, yep. Drive My Car, I haven't seen that yet. That's a Japanese film that, uh, apparently is very good that I just haven't seen yet. Yep. Um, Belfast is fine. Licorice Pizza is one I haven't seen. Power of the Dog is really good. I don't know if it's like best picture, good, but it, like in terms of like winning, but it's like a good nominee in a good year. Um, West Side Stories, good. Like, King Richard's good. Coda, I mean, Coda is like a really nice movie, 
that is about like child of deaf adults. And I really enjoyed my time with it when I watched it this week. Nothing we haven't seen before in terms of like a romantic comedy and like coming of age story. So I don't know. Like, and then you look at the best actor nominees. It's like, okay, this is all these performances are okay. Like, I don't think there's anything that's like blown me away there. Um, I was excited that like being the Ricardos, like didn't get nominated for best picture. Although you're on that train. I legitimately forgot JK Simmons was in being the, being the Ricardos. And he got nominated for sporting. Like, nobody <laughs> it, saw that happening until it rolled out. <laughs> yeah. Like nobody saw that as like a thing that was going to happen. And I had completely forgotten that he was in that movie. And I was well, like, the Academy did not forget Sam. And that's the most important. Clearly. Um, unbelievable. Um, but yes, the thing I'm most excited about is Kristen Stewart getting nominated for best actress. Uh, Kristen Stewart, Hive is strong. That is the only important thing that really matters, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, oh, Spencer so Hive is strong. Uh, we, we love the movie Spencer. We love Kristen Stewart. Uh, that's all I've got on the Game Theory podcast for today. I have to go write because I have to write right. like a billion things. Right. I have rookie yeah. rankings coming out. I'm going to have something on the Halliburton Sabonis thing coming tonight, probably. Uh, Penny, tell the people where they can find you. Find me on Twitter, Matt underscore Penny, and I'm on the road. We got eyeballs on prospects this weekend. We're starting up at UMass, the alma mater, to play St. Joe's, get some Jordan Hall evaluations in person. I'm taking a short drive down to Boston College where Duke comes to town. So I'll get eyeballs on Paul Van Caron, AJ Griffin, Wendell Moore, Keels, uh, Mark Williams, who just talked about. So I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to all that. Are you going with our nameless mutual friend? uh leg one yes yes leg one yeah i mean umass to start and i'm driving two hours back home to oh you're going bc and going too yeah yeah i I was excited to to know if he was going to duke because i can just imagine you guys like sitting there just like shitting on duke like (laughs) no i can't do that i can't do that i can't do that (laughs) oh my god okay uh, that's after that's group text stuff that's not in person yeah, we'll t- we'll talk. Not that Penny like shits on Duke, like in our group text, I don't, even really. Never. But we have had conversations about Paula Bancaro, and uh, Matt's feelings have been known on this podcast. Here, on no secrets. What he thinks about Bancaro. Um, I have a bunch of writing coming this week. I've already written on the Karis LeVert deal. You can go find that at The Athletic. I'll have something on Halliburton tonight. I'll have something on rookie rankings for tomorrow. I will be active writing about trades as they occur at the deadline. Um, I just want to thank everyone for listening. Like I was sharing some of the metrics with Matt um, earlier this week just because, you know, preparing for some things and trying to figure some things out and, um, yeah, just really appreciate it. Like it's fantastic. The podcast has grown so substantially over the course of the last, I don't know, like year and a half. Uh, a, a lot of it coincides with Matt being on, who's I just don't the think best. So. And, <laughs> I think those uh, are bad metrics, but it, it, it has grown. It has grown and yeah. it's nice. We're doing this here and being recorded and we have the, the actual people that listen and, and poke holes at, at that. So it's, it's, it's crazy, man. It's good stuff. Yeah. Like the, the sheer number of people like that listen to this is staggering to me. It blows my mind. Um, and listen to us just like ramble and talk shit for <laughs> hours on end. Um, Hour and 40 minutes. Genuinely, thank you. If you want to watch us, you can watch us on the YouTube channel, Game Theory Podcast with Sam Vecini. Uh, I think that that's what it's called. Go find that. Um, 
go to the athletic, go to the athletic.com slash game theory, subscribe there. It lets the athletic know that we are, um, a viable like product that is worth, uh, you know, continuing to allow like to do nonsense. So go there, but until next time we will talk soon.